Hi, this is Coach Colette, host of the Start Within podcast, and welcome to this Coach Chat episode. Do you ever have the experience where you hear about a first accomplishment in a field or industry by a woman or person of color, and then have that thought run through your mind, really, this is the first for this industry? Well, my Coach Chat guest, Liang Chung, is no stranger to being first. She was the first in her family to attend a four-year college, the first to go away for school, the first to earn a bachelor's degree, the first to have a white-collar job with an annual salary versus an hourly wage, and the first to experience upward mobility in her professional career. Not to mention that she was the first to become a corporate executive. So you may then understand why she has formed Poloristack. Poloristack has a mission to help underrepresented early-stage founders, mid-career women, and non-binary people prepare for their firsts, whether that's the first time scaling a team, the first time designing company culture, or the first time negotiating a salary. Now, this Coach Chat episode is at the perfect intersection of Mental Health Awareness Month and Asian American Pacific Islander Month. You may be aware that over the past year, hate crimes and incidents of violence and discrimination against Asian American and Pacific Islanders led to over 6,600 reports collected by Stop AAPI Hate between March 2020 and March 2021. But did you know that Asian American and Pacific Islander girls and women are the prime targets of this hate and discrimination? They report hate incidents 2.2 times more often as men. Within a week of the murder of George Floyd, anxiety and depression among Asian Americans increased to 34% screening positive for at least one of those symptoms. In this episode, Liang and I talk about her journey to process the tragic incidents that happened in Atlanta and other incidents of discrimination and hate against Asian American people. We talk about the danger and the challenges of not internalizing these negative incidents, nor the negative stereotypes, like the so-called model minority myth, and how that can impact your mental health and well-being. We also have a pretty candid conversation for those of you who may be introverts about how challenging it can be to come up with the right response in the moment when experiencing a microaggression. She also shares her personal response to the pain and violence that's happening in our country with regards to this racial and social reckoning. So whether you are experiencing a first in your career or in your business, or if you too are dealing with adapting and processing from trauma, 
due to what's happening in our world, you will gain insights from this conversation with Liang Chung. So get ready and listen up. So if we could take a few steps back and Mm -hmm. kind of go way back in time, what was the origin story for your company, Polaristack? Well, uh, Polaristack, like many, many startups um, has gone through, it's been a very iterative process. And so the original goal was I've wanted to start a business for over a decade and I was waiting for the genius idea to surface. I was waiting for, you know, this big thing, you know, to all of a sudden, yeah, that aha moment. And it, it never occurred uh, because I, I don't know about everybody else that's out there, but maybe it, it just doesn't, it doesn't happen in that way all the time for everybody. And I reached this point in my professional career where I I had a very successful career, um, and the next step for me was to become a chief people officer, which I was not excited about that opportunity um, because I just, I was looking for something different, but I wasn't quite sure what that was. And I have a lot of interests. I, I'm passionate about a lot of things. I'm interested. I, I, I also really love business um, and all the different parts of, of business. And I wanted to be able to get my hands involved in multiple aspects of, of business. And of course, starting your own is the best way to do that because you have really no choice <laughs> but to, to do it all and, and to, you know, to, to understand all aspects of it. And, and so I reached this point in my career where um, I am still really marketable. And so if, um, you know, it's a, it, to me, I saw it as a low risk because if this doesn't work out, I can always transition back into my previous career. So why not? And so I decided to, um, to make that pivot and, um, and start to build Polaristack. Um, so the original concept um, behind Polaristack was a B2C business model where I was designing and creating content in the form of online courses with the specific focus on different types of skills in the HR space um, and then packaging them and selling them for HR professionals that were looking to upskill themselves. And I went to market, um, launched Polaristack back in May um, 2020 in the middle of COVID. And it wasn't very successful um, for a number of different reasons. And, I, and COVID played a small role in that, um, in, in my um, opinion. And what I discovered when I was speaking to my advisors and mentors and um, other people I, I trust they all gave me the same advice. They said, you're running into this problem because you're selling to the wrong customers. Um, your real customers are businesses. They're not individual people. And so I took that advice, uh, went back, reworked things, um, and redesigned a business that was a B2, with a B2B business model. So I took all of the, the content that I created and repackaged everything into an experiential learning program and then went back out to the market to pitch companies um, and sell that in. And that was far much, like it was just, it was an easier pitch. It was an, you know, it was much easier to to sell that in than it was originally to sell uh, to the individual customers. So they were spot on in terms of the advice that they shared with me. Um, And it's gone through, 
uh, different evolutions. So while I was doing that, there's been these two other aspects of the of my business today um, that kind of developed organically. Um, so there, one aspect is working with underrepresented early stage founders um, who are looking to scale their team and have re- reached a, a, a point where they realize, oh, now's the time for us to start investing in an infrastructure to make this happen, to set, th- set things up in the right way. And then um, I also started doing a ton of speaking engagements and partnerships that gave me visibility to a a really large audience of women and a a large audience of women in tech. And so I had a lot of um, people reach out to me afterwards and say, hey, I really liked what you had to say. I liked your point of view. I like your background. I think you could help me, but I noticed that you only work with HR professionals. Do you ever work with women outside of that space? And I'd say to them, look, I don't advertise it, but I'd be happy to take you on as an individual client. And so that practice started to grow um, and develop. And what I've learned about these these two practices is that I am so passionate about this, this business. I'm so passionate about the two clients um, in, in these two worlds that I decided to double down um, and, and invest further into these, these areas. And so today, the way that I describe Polora Stack is that I help underrepresented early stage founders and mid-career women and non-binary people prepare for what I call their first. The first time that you're scaling your team, um, the first time you're designing company culture, or it could be the first time that you're negotiating your salary. Um, so it's all of those those first experiences is where I come in as an advisor and a coach to to help them navigate through that process. Um, and I'm deeply passionate about it because I've collected a number of firsts in my lifetime as well. And I, you know, I didn't have a ton of resources growing up. I didn't have a large network. I didn't even know what networking was. I didn't know to negotiate my salary until, you know, later on. And so I I often think about, wow, you know, if I had a mentor, if I had some kind of support during this time, um, it would have helped me alleviate a lot of pain and trial and error going through that process. So if I can help lend my expertise and my knowledge to someone who's going through their first, I want to be able to do that. And I want to be able to help a, um, a community and a demographic that I identify with that I know, um, you know, could, could definitely really gain a lot of value from these services. Right. What's striking me in what you're sharing about the firsts is both on an individual and a collective perspective. So we all each have our own first, but then it's always amazing to me when we are in 2021 and we're still talking about the first, you know, fill in the blank of underrepresented category in this field, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, first South Asian Black Vice President of the United States, right? You know, all of these things. And so it's interesting to hear you shape your business around first, maybe not in the same context, but what, what parallels or synergies do you, do you see in that at all? I, I see, I mean, I see a lot of parallels there. Um, I think it's, it's unfortunate that some of these firsts are occurring right now. Like, it's just sad. I mean, I don't, I can't find a better word. It's just, you know, just the, the amount of work and the amount of progress and the amount of talented people that are out there, um, how do we find ourselves in 2021 saying this, right? Or 2020 saying this. 
And, you know, so, so that's how I feel about, about that. Um, where I feel hopeful is that it also shows that in some ways there are new categories that are being created. Um, that's creating a new space and a new field for new firsts. And that's what's really cool. Um, and so I, you know, I, I always think like my, my parents are, they kind of, they have this, this mentality of you can either look at things from a negative point of view and think about limitations, or you can look at things from a hopeful point of view and think about all the opportunities that are in front of you and what you are able to do. And so I'm choosing to look at things in that way, in the, in the positive way of, okay, so we're in this, it doesn't feel great. And I am disappointed with the, just the progress, the slow snail-like progress that we're making in some ways. But at the same time, this engine could not be stronger and could not be louder at this point. Right. No, I, I agree with you. It's, it's true that our perspective, right, is what shapes our outlook. And I think I'm always like excited, but then, right, there's that sense of like, really in the background when you're like, she's the first, whatever it is. And you're like, still, right. That, yeah. that it still comes up in, in my mind. And I'm thinking about what we have talked about in the past around what is this perspective of Asian American, whether it's women and men in the workplace. Can you share more about what your journey in the workplace? I mean, you've got such a rich history in human resources, yet I'm, I'm wondering, right, what was your journey navigating that career path? It, so I, I you know, found myself in, um, I think this is where luck kind of played a role of me finding myself in, in the professional uh, track or the first company that I ended up landing because I, so, uh, you know, very, very different from a lot of common um, stereotypes that Asian Americans, um, you know, happen to be identified with in terms of like the, the model minority. I grew up in, my family is originally from Cambodia. We came to the U.S. as refugees because we were escaping genocide that was happening in our country. Um, I was born in a refugee camp in Thailand, and then we all came to the U.S. In, um, after I turned one. And we were on welfare. Um, we were given, we were, you know, donated clothes from the Christian church that sponsored us. And we had to build a life in a foreign land um, without, you know, any, any resources. And so I didn't grow up in an environment where I had access to, to all of these, you know, a lot of things. I didn't even have access to education. You know, I went to school without knowing um, any English and was in um, ESL classes until the third grade, um, English as a second language. So there were a lot of things that were you know, were barriers um, in that development process. And then also that process towards making economic progress as a, as a community and as a, as a family. And so, um, you know, going to school was a thing that I had to do because it was the right thing to do, but it wasn't that my parents had aspirations for me to say, Hey, we need you to get all A's and we need you to go, um, 
attend an Ivy League school and then you're going to become a doctor. I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't a thing for my family. It was go to school because that's what you need to do. That's the right thing to do. And then go to community college, get your associate's degree and then get a good job with good benefits, go work for the government. Um, you know, that was, <laughs> it was, that was just, you know, what, uh, because and it's not to no fault of their own. It was just, that was, you know, their exposure. And for them, um, that was progress. Because if you think about where we started and, you know, what our journey looked like, that, that demonstrated progress for them. And so I ended up finding my way through, uh, you know, getting a, a bachelor's degree, going, to for, going away to school. And then um, I found myself going to work for uh, Macy's um, at that time um, in their corporate office. And I ended up building um, a really great corporate career in human resources. So it was, I, I find that it was kind of lucky because no one, you know, wasn't like I had guidance and I just kind of like found myself at the right place at the right time. Um, so I'm really, really grateful for it. And so I, I talk about these things because when I entered the corporate world, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had proper training or preparation for it. And so I didn't know the importance of building relationships with people. For example, I saw my role as you're paying me to execute a certain job and I'm going to do that really well. And that's the extent of it. And so I didn't think about, you know, the relationship with my manager, the relationship with my peers. It was just kind of like, it, it felt a little transactional in that way. And it took me finding my way into the HR profession and seeing the ins and outs of how things worked and how people interviewed and how people network and, and people negotiating their salaries to then uncover this whole like norm um, and social structure that I didn't, I wasn't privy to. And so I found that to be really fascinating and really exciting. And that's something that made me even more curious about. It. And I think that's probably what, what kept me there. Um, I think that there was a lot of things as, you know, that I learned in terms of being raised in this dual culture of being Cambodian um, and uh, being American that, uh, you know, either played favorably to me, um, or it created a lot of conflict for me. Um, you know, one of them being that I, it took me a really long time to really define what my brand is and, and for me to communicate and create boundaries around what that brand is. Um, and so for a long time, I allowed my environment and the people around me to define that for me. And some people had good intentions and some people did not have good intentions. And I internalized a lot of that uh, because I didn't know what exactly to do with that. You know, I had a, I had a manager who, you know, earlier on in my career who actually said to me that she didn't understand why I was so ambitious. She said, you know, you're so young. And, um, and you're so ambitious and you have your whole life ahead of you. Like, so she, she saw that as a really negative thing. And I remember leaving that conversation feeling really crappy about it because she took something that was, in my opinion, a strength of mine and something that was fueling me and motivating me 
and, and just minimized it. And then I had, you know, people, you know, another struggle that I went through is that I look young. And when you look young, which it depends now, like as we get older, yes, it's an advantage, right? (laughs) But when you're 27 and you're demonstrating your leadership capabilities and there's a bias that, you know, an unconscious bias that occurs, or there are, you know, microaggressions that, that occur um, because of it, it doesn't really work favorably for you because in that context, youth equals inexperience. And that comes with its own bag of things that are attached to it. And so that was something that earlier on I struggled with for a while and, and, and worked really hard to figure out ways in which I can overcome that. And in some ways working um, in ways where I was trying to overcompensate unnecessarily and, and you're essentially taking on the responsibility of doing the work that other people around you should be doing. I didn't realize that. It's like, wait a minute, that's not a knock on me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. If you can't take the time to understand the value and the contributions that I bring, regardless of what I look like, regardless of how, many, how much time I've spent in this field, then that's your oversight and that's your missed opportunity. And that's, that's your growth, right? That you need to, you need to go through. I don't need to take that on. And so it took me going through that, that personal growth process um, and that trial and error to discover that. And so that's the reason why I, I talk about that that branding piece, because then once I discovered that, that became embedded into the identity that I held on to, um, and the way in which I show up in the workplace and the boundaries that I created for myself and created for the people around me. And that was important for, you know, for how I, you know, the way in which I navigated my professional career and also the, the type of, of leadership model that I wanted to, um, that I wanted to create, um, and build for myself. Your mental health is essential to your overall health and well-being. Living a healthy lifestyle and including mental health tools to help you thrive may not seem easy, but it can be achieved if you gradually make small changes and build on your successes. Seeking help to improve your mental health is a sign of strength not weakness, and I would love to help you do it. You can visit my website, startwithincoaching.com. At the top, click Start Here, so you can schedule your complimentary activation call. We can talk all about what's going on in your life right now, where you are in your mental health journey, and where you would like to be. So go to startwithincoaching.com, click start here to start your journey within. Absolutely, I resonate with so much of 
what you said and have had similar experiences in, in my career as well around, uh, I guess the thing that always pops up in my head is something, the, the thing that I would get was, oh, you're so articulate. And it was that sense of not recognizing in the beginning, right, that that's not really a compliment, right? Because there's, you're so articulate for a, right, you know, yep. black or, or whatever it is that the person is thinking about. And I love what you shared about that it's not our responsibility to educate, but it is the other person's role. Um, mm-hmm. Although I think I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, though, on how that has impacted or did impact your mental health and well-being, all of that internalization of those external messages? It had a huge impact on me because I carried it with me. I carried it. I'm I'm an internal processor. I'm also an introvert. So words have a significant impact on how I interpret it, how I process it, how I analyze it. Um, and I didn't, I, I was at a point where I was inexperienced with what I do with it. And so I ended up just taking it in and just carrying it inside. And then someone else would say or do something else. And I take that in and I would just keep compounding itself on top of, on top of each other. And I didn't have a way to unload that in a productive manner until I started to talk to people Um, and started until I started to either belong to different communities that I connected with or created communities that spoke to the experiences that I was going through and realizing that, oh, wait, this is a common thing. And this is how we can all help and support each other. So I do that now. Um, And because I've, I've had all of this learning, when that occurs now, first of all, it doesn't get very far because then the boundaries have been created. And I'm also have become very good about saying, okay, well, that, you know, like this is something that you probably need to, to, to self-reflect on. And I'm not going, you know, like I, I, you're not going to allow me to put me in a position of like making me the victim of, of, you know, the situation or making me the culprit of this, right? Like, I, I'm just, I'm not going to even give you the space to do it. But, and here's the other thing is that it's also not my responsibility to be the educator as well, because I also used to take on that role and that's a very heavy role. And it's not that I am passing on the buck, um, you know, as a member of the community that I identify with and belong to, it's not saying that, okay, I'm not going to do that. But I, I think it's also understanding there's a moment and a place for it where it can have, you know, an effective impact. And then there's a time and a place where it can have a a really explosive impact um, that could be very harmful. And so it's knowing how to read those moments and figuring out what's the best thing for you to do um, and and being confident in that decision. Um, I think that comes with with age and experience, um, you know, just kind of of going through, you know, going through those those moments um, to to be able to see them and, and pick them out and and make those decisions. 
Right. And we're talking about this, I know, within the within the context, in some degrees of people in the workplace, I would say also as entrepreneurs, right, that we have mm-hmm. this sense of whether it's pitching to investors or being in different conversations, right, it's that choice of, okay, am I going to shut this down? Or how am I going to respond? And now we're all on Zoom. It's like, what does my face look like? They're also, you know, when someone says something stupid, you're like, great. Like, okay. And I'm on camera, right? You know, I had this experience. Listeners have heard me talk about this before. And uh, we actually did a whole Let's Talk segment uh, a couple of years ago with my interns because I was on a panel and someone said something that, you know, shut it, shut me down or minimized my experience. And it was that moment because you're like in the room of like 50, 70 people looking at you, right? What do you do? What do you say? So I think that as, you know, as BIPOC, there are all these burdens, right? And and yet we're still making these individual choices in every moment of how am I going to respond? Yeah. And, and this is the, you know, it's, it's a burden that is being carried because of the monolith. It's unfortunately, you don't get the privilege to be an individual in some, you know, it's in those moments, right? So in my opinion, why can't you feel however way you feel without having to worry that there's all these people looking at you and thinking making judgments or, you know, turning something into a meme or whatever, you know, or, or misplacing your expression, you know, as something else, why can't you have the privilege to be in the moment and be fully present and take in whatever it is that you're experiencing and reacting in a really authentic way and then also using that moment as a learning opportunity as well. Um, why why can't that be an option? Like, why did you need to worry about right. all of those things? Right. And I feel like what's interesting, because that would have been 2019. So flash to now, I feel like there is a, even for myself, I have a higher sense of being unapologetic and being authentic. I'm also though a process person like you are too. So mm-hmm. I feel like throughout my life, when people say things like there's always still that part of my moment where I'm still doing the really like, wait, like kind of yeah. like, like, <laughs> wait, like in my head, like, did, did they just say that, you know? And so it's that moment where like, sometimes it doesn't come out automatically, you know, maybe it's my fight flight. Like I've realized uh, totally a little bit off topic, right? You know, we have fight flight, but there's also freeze. And I've yeah. realized that in those moments, sometimes I freeze either for processing or also freeze from the perspective of, right, what do I do? So I know that's a little men- mental healthy, but you know, like that sense of how is it we all each respond because you're saying, it's not a monolith in terms of our culture, our races, our ident- mm-hmm. identities. There's also not a monolith on how each of us as individuals respond to racialized trauma. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, so I, I fully identify with you about the freeze mo- because I too find myself in moments where something so appalling and absurd occurs that it's just a state of shock. Uh, first of all, I'm just shocked that I'm witnessing this right now, or I'm shocked that I am seeing this unfold. And then it's, 
after that, it's, it's processing that and thinking, okay, so how do I feel about this? <laughs> because there's a lot going on. It's tons of things that are going on. And um, the challenge with being, this is, and this is going into, you know, other aspects of, of the topic of diversity, um, which, you know, I, I really, I talk a lot about being an introvert because so much of being an introvert is you do process internally. And when that happens, it's left up to interpretation of how people perceive that behavior because you're not demonstrating it externally. You may not be communicating anything. And so some people are really uncomfortable with that and feel the need to interpret it in a certain way. And it's also balancing that out because I don't want certain things to be misrepresented or misinterpreted um, in a way where it actually is not the truth and is not the authentic story. Um, and I think that's also another tough thing to balance out as well. So, so important. I'm an INTJ, by the way. Oh, okay. I'm an ISTP. Got it. Got yeah. it. That's so funny. And although when I took Myers-Briggs long, long time ago, my I and E were close. And at that time, though, I was surprised because I, you know, as I learned more about the model, I was actually kind of surprised to learn that I was an I and not an E. And, and although over the years now, it has made a lot more sense to me, right? It's more about, right, how you, how you process information and how you regenerate, right? Mm -hmm. Like that sense of regenerating, it doesn't mean that we can't be in public and be around a lot of people. It's like, but how do you get that centering? How do you get that grounding back? At least for me, I find that that's what it's like. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I definitely recharge and regain my energy by being alone, reflecting, doing whatever it is, you know, that I need to do to just be with my thoughts and my feelings. And then I can come back after I've done all that processing and thinking to say, okay, I've, you know, I've thought about it. And, you know, for me, I go through in terms of like, when I envision what, what goes on in my brain, I see a filter because that's like, it's like something, you know, a whole pool of data that goes in at the very top and it goes through this whole process and then out comes something. And that's when I, when I speak. And I think a lot of introverts go through that processing, you know, piece. It's just, we, we have a lot of things going on and we we're also, I, I know for myself, I'm very careful about the words that I choose and the words that I use because they're so important to me that I, I want to make sure that I'm giving it sufficient time to be thoughtful about what it is that I decide to use to describe things or to express myself. Right. Right. So I can imagine if, if we were like sort of in a, either a drama or a sitcom, we'd be like in the background and someone would have said something, we would have come back like, I got it. I've got the response. Yes. <laughs> I can spill the tea now. I knew I couldn't do it in the moment, but it's ter it's terrible when it comes to making I'm so envious of people who know the right words to say at the right moment of time and they just have a just really great comeback and I just don't work that way and so I I I really I've come to admire people who do that really well because I, you know I'm still going through my 
my process, but yeah, I'm, I totally identify with, with the person that you're describing. Right. Right. It's like, you'll, you'll get a carefully worded email or a carefully worded (laughs) tweet within like an hour of this conversation. But yeah, in our fast world, it's like, wait, like, like I didn't get a response. She didn't, she didn't say anything. No. Um, and I, and I don't want, I mean, I, I love that we're laughing about this and, and being authentic about it, but yeah, like also there are aspects of that that can also impact our well-being, right? Because we're then you, we're, when you're in that processing moment and maybe you don't have the tools or you're not really sure, and then maybe eyes are on you, right? Like that, that can mm-hmm. still be a stressful moment. So I don't want to like minimize it, even though we're obviously having a great time talking about it this conversation. Yeah, it's talking about it allows you to give yourself permission to be who you are. That that's the the gift that you're giving yourself is that there is nothing wrong if that is the way that you need to process things to think about things or the way in which you prefer to work um, or the way in which you work the best sharing that, talking about it gives other people visibility of what you need. And it's also giving yourself the permission and giving yourself the space to do that. And so it's, uh, I think it's practicing kindness to yourself. Mm, I love that kindness, like self-kindness, self-compassion, self-love, the ability mm-hmm. to give yourself that, that time and that space. Um, I love that. Uh, and, and given that there is so much happening in our, in our world in, you know, in terms of violence and hate, and I don't even know, like how, what is it that you have to share or to say uh, about any of what's going on that maybe you haven't already shared? So when, um, I mean, with the rise of all the anti-Asian violence, it's been, um, I felt really paralyzed by it last year when it started to to peak. Um, And then when the shooting happened in Atlanta, that was a really, gut-wrenching experience. And I think for a lot of Asian American women, there was a a really, it became like a really big inflection point. Um, And for me personally, it caused kind of like a Pandora's box of all these things that have been hitting inside for so long that I've kind of like just packaged, like, hey, like, let's just park that away and not think about it. And so I started to read about women talking about things that they never felt the desire or the courage or anything, the strength, right. To share, um, because culturally we just don't, you know, we're raised so like what my parents say, it's like, everyone's got problems, right? So you're, you need to figure out how to deal with your problems. Um, and you don't talk about it. You don't complain about it. You just figure out a way to deal with it and move on. And so there's this like mentality of like, you just shut up, Um, and you package it and then you just figure you move on. Right. And that's not, it's not healthy. It's just, but it's just like, kind of like a way of life. And so this thing caused this wound to open in a, in, and it bursts. And I, I kept hearing over and over again, you know, silent, no more. And I'm shaking as I'm writing this, I'm, you know, I'm having to recall all these things. And it was just, it was addressing 
you know, the, the model minority myth, the, um, the hypersexualization of women, right? Um, racism, classism, stereotypes, bias, microaggressions. I mean, it was just, it went on and on and on and on. And I too went through my own process um, of that. And I just, I went from feeling really angry to being disappointed, to being enraged, to feeling numb. And I just kind of like, you know, I went through all of this and I kept thinking about, so I, um, I'm part of a non, I'm part of the board for a nonprofit organization called uh, Global Connections for Women. And we, we hosted an International Women's Day virtual conference. And on one of the panels, um, Senator Pat Spearman was there. Um, she's a senator in Las Vegas and she is, um, you know, an, she does a lot of advocacy work and she talked about how she faced blatant um, bias um, and racism in the military and how she dealt with that, uh, especially as someone who, um, you know, has, she identifies as a, um, a, a gay black woman and was, you know, outright informed, you know, like, this is the highest you're going to go. You know, this is, this is it, you know, like, and being told like, that's your ceiling. Um, and for her, when she's in, when someone tells her no, it like fuels her, you know, she's just like, I've become a pit bull, you know, and I want to, I want to fight it even more. And someone, and she just had this really incredible, inspiring story. And someone in the audience said, for, for people who want to get involved in advocacy work and who want to make a change and want to make a difference, how do we even get started? Because, and how do you deal with all the pain? Because there's just so much pain um, that's, that's out there. And it's, it's, it's really hard. And she, her advice was, you have to figure out a way to turn your pain into passion. That's the only way that you can make progress is you have to figure out, out a way to take what you're feeling and figure out a way that to identify something that you're passionate about where you can advocate for that change or you can be part of that change. There are a lot of people in the world today that is feeling pain in multiple ways. We're going through a lot of suffering uh, from an emotional and mental and, and physical um, uh, suffering right now. And I think that um, talking about that pain um, is part of the healing process, um, being open to, to sharing it. Um, and I think the other aspect of that healing process is sitting down and really listening to each other talk about that. I, that is one thing that I don't think is happening as much as it probably should happen um, in order to come to a place where we start to heal um, and a, a place where we really make progress as humans. Um, as communities, as, you know, whatever, whoever it is that you, or whatever you identify with, right? Um, part of that process is not just the expression of what is going on and, and how we see things and what is going on, what's, what's causing, what's the root cause of some of these things, but it's also 
sitting down and having the capacity to actively listen, really listen to each other. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a lot of work there and I'm trying to practice that myself as well. Um, I, you know, it's also understanding, you know, I can get really passionate about talking about the things that I want to see in the world and the justice that I want, um, you know, you know, to, to, for, for, um, the wrongdoers to face. And in that, sometimes I too get lost. So I, that's something that I'm trying, trying to challenge myself as part of my growth as well, um, is, you know, are you, are you doing enough listening? That's, that's profound, right? Because I think we, we do, we can all get in that sense of our personal platforms or whatever it is, however we're expressing ourselves. And particularly if we're speaking with someone where there is, you know, opposite or differing views, right? Is it, are we both digging our heels in Mm -hmm. and into our positions or are we creating space and opportunity for dialogue and, and even opportunities to agree to disagree on certain aspects of things? Does, does that resonate at all? Yeah, it's, and it is very hard. I will say that, you know, I found myself in moments where I just shut down because I couldn't, I, I, you get so passionate about whatever it is and, and, and you just can't, you can't hear anything else, um, because there's so much there and, um, I don't enjoy it when I'm experiencing that with other people. So I'm sure they're not enjoying me, um, in, in that moment. And so that is something to me, I think that is part of what progress looks like, um, is that, you know, exercising our capacity to to truly listen to one another. Um, and to your point, it's not about getting to a place where you agree on things, on everything, um, but it is getting to a place of being able to understand and to say, okay, you know, let's just, let's agree to disagree. Right. And sometimes that is, that is progress, um, depending on, you know, what the nature of it is. And so, um, yeah, so that that's something that I continue to to work on and as my own self-development and something that I continue to to challenge myself because I, I can always do a better job myself. Right, right. Yeah, and I think context is also important, right? The sense of what is it that we're talking about, right? Is it sort of, you know, thinking back to your earlier examples, right? of your manager saying you're ambitious and that's a bad thing. Well, if we agree to disagree on that, how does that impact my career path? So it's always that sense yeah. of what's the context or, you know, how does that improve my, or impact my financial, you know, income earning abilities? There's so many things, right? It's like, it, it's, is it an issue we're agreeing to disagree on or is there, what's the broader consequence or, or implications, I guess, of that yeah. as well? Well, in that case, it was, all right, I'm going to start updating my resume because clearly this is not the right place for me. (laughs) So I just found another job at that point. And that was the, you know, that was the right, that was the right choice. And yeah, so that, yes, you're right. There are going to be moments where it's just, it's really not going to work for you. um, And that it's about, okay, so how do I shift focus and then put my energy elsewhere where it will be productive for my well-being or my career or my future, whatever that may happen to be. Absolutely. Yes. 
one of the questions that I ask all of my guests to share and respond to is what does start within mean to you? For me, it is about the self and whatever kind of work that you are doing, whether it's work on improving a certain area of your life, it's about making a major change or shift in yourself. Um, It's about obtaining something that you want from the world or from the universe uh, or from a higher being. It starts, the work starts within and it starts within yourself. And that is the origin of anything that is, in my opinion, truly meaningful and something that is sustainable. Because if you're working at it from the outside in, it's going to get to a point where something gets misaligned or overlooked and it falls apart. But if you're starting from yourself and you're starting from within, it comes from a place of authenticity and it comes from a place of your own values and beliefs and whoever it is that, um, you know, all the things that you really care about. And because you're starting from that place, it's going to help guide you in the right direction. I love that. It was like, I could feel my heart center opening as you were, as you were sharing that. And I I really resonate with what you were sharing. And something that struck me also when you were saying that, hearkening back to what we were talking about earlier, right? But if, if we're internalizing external perceptions, that's what makes this harder for, for us. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's all about how do you, how do you best drown out the noise? There's a lot of noise around us and we can, we, we have the ability to pick and choose what noise to listen to. And we also have the ability within ourselves to find a way to, to drown out that noise. I love it. I love that. That's amazing. And so with all of the wonderful things that you are doing, how can our listeners learn more about you and your work and be able to find ways to collaborate or partner? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on your show. And, and uh, this conversation is always, it's always fun talking with you. And I, for um, anyone who wants to reconnect or learn more about my work, um, you can always find me on LinkedIn. Um, and my company name is Pelora Stack. So that's P-E-L-O-R-A and the word stack. You can find um, us on LinkedIn or Instagram um, or on polorastack.com to learn more about the, um, all the different product services and events that are going on. So I hope you stay connected, uh, follow us and uh, reach out and um, you know, just continue this conversation. Absolutely. And we'll be sure to share all of those links in the show notes so people can definitely connect with you. And so right and so true. And and I really enjoyed the conversation and I knew it would be a great conversation when we spoke that day. I was like, I need to get her on the show. So I'm so glad that we could come together today and have this conversation. Thank you so much. It's been fun. My pleasure.